If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn me to the Gospel of John, as we continue in this sermon series, it's really a sermon season uh, of epiphany where uh, we are looking to God's Word to reveal to us who this Jesus really is. And this is not just somewhat important. This is incredibly important for all of us. Whoever you are and wherever you've been, if you've hung around Christianity for a long time, or maybe you're just brand spanking new to this whole thing. According to the Bible, the more that we know the true identity of Jesus, the more we find the identity to ourselves. I mean, to know him and to love him is to really know and love ourselves and see ourselves rightly as God sees us. As we continue the series, we're going to see in this text that the uh, gospel of John is going to say to us, actually, Jesus's words, come and see, come and see. And this is a wonderful invitation for all of us. And that's what we get every week that, that God says to us in his spirit through the, the power of his word, come and see. Come and see who uh, my son really is. Come and see this one named Jesus. Come and see. And if we see him rightly, we're going to live and we're going to worship and we're going to be transformed and set free. It's such good news. Well, our country just went through a pretty tumultuous change in power, a pretty seismic shift from one ideology unto the next. Uh, And amazingly, isn't it, you sit there and you, You ponder it for a minute and say, what happened on Friday was pretty significant. Where at one time, the most powerful man in the world, now former president Barack Obama, changed and a new president took power. And for us to do that peacefully, it's a, it's a pretty great nation. No matter where you land on the spectrum of this, and I know that's a lot, this is, I promise you, nothing to do with politics, but it's amazing of a country that can do that. But with all the rhetoric and all the things that seem to emerge at a time like this, don't you start to question, can one man or woman really bring the kind of change that they're talking about? I mean, can one person really bring that much change and hope? Uh, I remember when uh, Barack Obama was elected and the excitement of new hope uh, that could be there. And still for many, now there's a hope of something new. But can one person really change that, that much or change your life and my life? Well, God's word says that there is one person who truly can change all things. 700 years before Jesus arrived on this earth and when he took on flesh and walked among us, there was a prophet by the name of Isaiah. And Isaiah spoke of one to come. And he spoke beautifully about this one. And he called him a servant of God. And he said that a servant of God was going to come to the earth. And the servant of God, he was going to bring salvation to all nations. I mean, talk about a huge God-sized promise. That he would be the light of the world. That he would be able to gather all of God's pieces, uh, people, and bring them And make them into God's family. What an incredible promise that God's words had for us. And then the gospel of John. The gospel of John will say, well, this servant did come, this promised servant. And his name is Jesus. And he is the Lamb of God. And John is going to say about this Lamb of God, this servant in flesh. He's going to say that this one person, this one God in flesh, this one man, he's going to take away the sin of the world. Interestingly, it doesn't say sins of the world. 
It just says the sin problem. Like in its totality, that the Lamb of God will come to take away the sin of the world. But the Bible tells us even more spectacular stuff that that promised servant would come and this Lamb of God would come. But because of that reality, because of this one, that we could become the people of God, that the, the servant of God, who is the Lamb of God, who, who makes us the people of God. And, and because of the reality, because we are his and we are forgiven and we are free, we, we should live radically different lives. And so as we look to God's word, we're going to realize that God's promises has, has promised servant has come. As we're continuing in epiphany, that the, the Lamb of God has come. He's come and he's taken away the sins of his people. He perfectly executed the plan of God. And now by the, the immense grace of God, we, we, the broken people that we are, we could become the people of God and it impacts everything. This morning, we're going to read from the gospel of John, John chapter one. I'll also read from Isaiah 49. Uh, and I'll also refer later to first Corinthians uh, chapter one. If that's too much to try to navigate, if you didn't bring a Bible, you'll find that for you in your bulletin. If you want to follow along with God's word, but let's be mindful that this is God's holy and errant word. He gave this to us. Uh, he breathed his very being around, uh, upon the original writers uh, this word will never lead us astray. It's, it'll never uh, be wrong, which is so good. But this word of God, it's more than just to entertain us. This is a word to transform us and to make us more like his son. So we'll read the gospel of John beginning in verse 29. It'll start off this way. Hear the word of the Lord. The next day, well, oftentimes in scripture, hit pause here. Oftentimes in scripture, it's not as chronological as it may seem. It's not always the next day, but the gospel of John, it says the next day, we want to know well, what was the last day. And the day before this was Jesus's baptism. And we just looked at that last week. Did we not? We saw the baptism of Jesus and it was so significant because as Jesus was baptized, it, it revealed to us the persons of God, this triune God. It revealed to us the purpose of God, that he's come to rescue the nations. It revealed to us the pleasure of God, that sinners like us can, can hear from the God who is, this is my beloved son. He could say it to you and me because the pleasure is found in his son. And once we find the son, we find the pleasure. Of God. We also found the power of God in the Holy Spirit. So when the Gospel of John says the next day, this is linking us back right to Jesus' birthday or, or baptism. He, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I've said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this, this is the son of God. 
The next day again, John was standing with his two of his disciples. This is John the Baptist. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this. And they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, which is the rock. Turn to Isaiah. 700 years before that, Isaiah would write of a servant to come. Isaiah 49. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you people from afar. That's us. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named me by name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hands, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. He said to me, you are my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring back, to bring Jacob back to him and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing. Is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer, the Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nations, the servant of rulers. Kings shall see and arise, princes, as they shall prostrate themselves, because the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, has chosen you. Verses 15 and 16. Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget. Yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraven you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. The word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Now, Father God, what an incredible loving God that you are. That you would send your servant son with our names engraved on his hands to come and to rescue us. Those hands that would be pierced by nails because you would love us that deeply and that profoundly well. Because you love in that manner, we ask God that you would now send your son, the spirit of your son here with us 
that God, that you would engrave in your name on all of our hearts and our souls and our lives. Because you love us, would you be with us? Because we gather in your name. And God, would you be pleased to do that which only you could do? Would you speak through a broken, sinful servant like me? God, would you give us ears to hear your voice? And would you give us minds to understand your word? And would you give us hearts to embrace your truth and your love? And would you give us feet to walk in a manner worthy of your name? The the Holy One of Israel, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus, the Lamb of God. Would you bring great glory to his name? Would you bring great challenge to your people? God, the things that I say are wrong or merely my opinion. May those things be forgotten and fall away quickly. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like your son, the Lamb of God? And we pray this in his matchless name. Amen. If you want to follow along with me in your bulletin, you'll find an outline for you as we unpack this And again, the whole premise is this, is from Jesus's words, come and see. May each of us come and see the beauty of who this God is that's being revealed to us. And the first challenge of coming and seeing is come and see the promised servant of God. We read about this and preached on it last week. We saw in Isaiah 42, the servant of God is Uh, further unpacked for us or revealed to us in Isaiah 49. And the wonder of this promised servant. I mean, you start to look at the language and start to see what in the world is this one going to be to emerge? It's, It's really incredible that we're seeing that this is the one that will come and be that Lamb of God. Let's go back and just look at a couple things in that. In verse five, it says this, this servant that will come, he is the strength of God in verse five. That this Lamb of God will come. He's, he looks meek and he is meek, but he's strong. And the strength of God will be with him. The strength of God that creates all things out of nothing. The strength of God who, who holds all things together. The strength of God he contains. And yet, he's tender enough to love like a mother. I love that in verse 14. Can a mother forget her son? That might happen. But God in his love, like, like a mother, cannot forget you, will not forget you. So the servant to come, he's going to be, he's going to be a man's man. He's going to be strong. And yet he's going to love so tenderly that the only way to describe it is like that mother's love that wraps around you. It says that his mouth and his word will be like a sharp sword. He's the word of God. And that sword can divide even marrow. And it's just incredibly sharp. But this servant doesn't use his sword to destroy and to, and to scatter. It says that although he's got this word that is so sharp, yet he uses it to gather. He gathers his people. And not just one nationality, not just Israelites, but he gathers all his people from every tribe tongue and nation. He uses his power to love and to gather us. And yet it's interesting here. He's, he's called Israel and yet he's to rescue Israel. And there's some confusion sometimes in saying, well, is this servant many? Is this servant one? Is it, is it the nation Israel? I mean, who is this? And you, and you realize, no, this is that, that lamb of God. This is one. 
It's interesting in the scriptures. It's very important for all of us to know that the way the story of God unfolds is God always has one who represents the many. He always has one that represents us all. And as that one goes, so go we. The Bible begins with one named Adam. One named Adam that was made in God's image and Adam and Eve and represented all of humanity. If he obeyed and lived and had life, we would have life. And he rebelled and he sinned and he brought a curse. He brought a curse on himself. And guess what? He brought a curse on us. Every one of us here is broken. We share the same brokenness that comes from Adam. It got passed down to us as the generations, the brokenness in your life, the, the, the emptiness in your life, the darkness in your life, it all can be traced back because one represented us and his death is our death. But scripture tells us incredible good news that there was a second Adam. In Romans 5, it will say another one would come and represent us. That would be that Lamb of God. It would be the servant of God. It would be the one who would come to do that which you and I failed to do, to, to live perfectly, obediently before the for Father. That one would represent us on the cross. That in crazy, that, that in this good news of the gospel, that, that the one Lamb of God's sacrifice was sufficient for all yours and my sin. That the wrath of God was poured upon him. And he would say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So he could gather us and call us his beloved. You see, we all sit here. We're, we are going to be represented by one of two Adams. The first Adam in his sin and brokenness. Or the second Adam in his righteousness and beauty. And he says this, this servant Israel who's going to come and redeem. But we realize he is the Holy One of Israel, the Redeemer of Israel. Yet he's more than that. He's, he's the light of the nations. Jesus is the hope of the world today. Not just for the Israel nation, but for all nations. He is the light of the world today. He brings salvation to the ends of the earth. Our hope should be built on nothing less. No change in Washington no change in the political culture of the world. Our hope as Christians is in this servant that was to come who did, this Lamb of God that's united us to the Father. Our hope is in him. He is the salvation of the earth. And he's the Lamb of God. He's the Lamb of God. The strong one is this meek Lamb who takes away, again, the sin of the world. And what does he do? This Lamb of God, the servant of God, loves to associate with his people. Last week, we realized that Jesus was baptized by John's baptism of repentance. And although Jesus had nothing to repent of, he was sinless, spotless lamb of God. Yet he wanted to identify with his people and he would get into the same dirty waters and say, no, I want to identify with their sins. I want to identify with them. And here you have this promised servant to come who says, I want to grave their names on my hand. Think about that for a minute. Here's the greater. Here's the mighty one. He's not saying, I want to brand my people. So they make sure that I brand them in my name. He does do that lovingly. But he first says, I'm going to wear their names. I'm going to come to seek and to save the lost. And I know every one of my sheep. I'm going to find them all. And these hands that have my, the names of my beloved, they're going to be pierced with nails and I'll become their sin so that they can know the Father's pleasure and be called beloved. This is the Lamb of God. This is the servant of God 
who loves you enough to have your name engraved upon him. Come and see. Come and see the servant of God. But there's more than that. Come and see the Lamb of God. Come and see Jesus. Again, the baptism just took place. And now John is seeing him and says, behold, the Lamb of God. And, and John goes into this really kind of bizarre explanation of who he is. He says this, come and see Jesus, the one who was after me. And if you know the, the birth narrative in the gospel of Luke, of Jesus, And his cousin, John the Baptist, they were closely linked together. But John the Baptist was about six months before Jesus. He did come before Jesus. And yet he says, although he is after me, he says that Jesus ranks above me. That he knew that he was not the Christ. He knew that he was not the Messiah, that Jesus was. He ranks above me. He was, he was the one that when Jesus came to be baptized, he said, no, 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 no. I am not worthy. We should flip around here. You should be baptizing me. You're the sinless one. I'm a sinner like the people. I mean, it's John who says, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal. He was, Jesus would say, well, I, I, he's after me. John would say, excuse me. And then he would say, but he ranks before me. But then he says something really bizarre. He says, because he was before me. Now, was John schizo here? Is he saying, well, he was after me, but he's really before me. You see, there's this beautiful mystery being revealed that this is not just the Lamb of God. This is the eternal Lamb of God. This is, this is the one who always was. In the beginning, that word was with God, and that word was God. He was with God in the beginning. He, he has created all things. Nothing has been created. It wasn't created by this one. And so he knew this is Jesus, the Lamb of God. Behold, yeah, I was six months earlier, but man, he ranks better. And my goodness, this is the eternal Lamb of God. He says, John says, well, I, I baptized with water and I saw that Holy Spirit come. I'll never forget it. It came and descended on him like a, like a dove. And now he says that Jesus will come and he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. You know, there's a lot of confusion. What does it mean to be baptized by the Holy Spirit? Some people say, you know, if you're baptized the Holy Spirit, you'll see signs of that. You'll, you'll speak in tongues. You'll do different things. And, and those are gifts of the Holy Spirit. And there could be an argument. Are they still in existence or not? But what's profoundly important for us to know is the truth. And it's this. When it says that Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit, we must know that there has never been anyone. There will never be anyone who will come to a saving knowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior without the Holy Spirit. When he baptizes us with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives by God's grace. And he gives us ears to hear the gospel. He gives us eyes to see the truth. He gives us hearts to respond. And because of the gracious work of regeneration to the Holy Spirit, we have life. That's it. This is the Lamb of God. But Jesus, you see the question he asks, incredible question he asks his followers. As a couple of disciples started following him that day. And by the way, it's a question he still asks today. He asks, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? Hit pause and say, what does your calendar say you're seeking? What, is your, what does your bank account say you're seeking? What would your family, your friends say you're seeking? But here Jesus sees these guys following him. He says, what are you seeking? I got to tell you, in my flesh, I, I kind of go to a funny, pretty worldly place. It's sad to say. I'm, I mean, Jesus, the 
servant of God, the Lamb of God, Jesus, the eternal one, is going to ask, what are you seeking? I, I feel like almost like you have like this Aladdin lamp in your hand, right? It's like, what am I seeking? I got to, what am I seeking? What am I seeking? What, am I, what do I want? What do I want? What do I want? What do I want? Oh my goodness, here's the opportunity. And here's what they say. They ask a question. Where are you staying? Why? What, what's, what's going on? Why would they say, where are you staying? They were basically saying something profoundly deep and profoundly that we have to understand. He says, we, we want to be with you. We want to go where you go. We want to stay where you stay. We, we, we want to stay with you. He, they were saying this, Jesus, we want you. You're the one we want. You see, salvation is Jesus. He is not simply the way to salvation. He is salvation. He is. He's the object of salvation. He's the one who became our sin. He's the one who robes us in his righteousness. Salvation is not just found in Jesus. It's just, it is him. Salvation alone. Jesus is life. And it's not just He's the way to life, like there might be other ways. He is the resurrection and life. And those who believe in him, though they die, they will never perish. That's why Paul will say that the life I now live, I I live in Christ Jesus. I live for him. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Life is Christ, and that life is hidden in us. That Jesus is truth. He's not not part of the truth or a way to truth. Jesus is truth embodied. He's the embodiment of God's truth. They say, we are seeking you. What are you seeking today? Are Are you seeking the things of the world? Or are you seeking the creator of the world? Are you seeking position in the world? Or are you seeking that reality of a home and a world to come? Are you seeking God's blessings? Or are you seeking the God of blessing? What are you seeking? Come and see Jesus. The Lamb of God who has taken away our sins. Who writes his name on our hands. Come and see Jesus. You know, it's another kind of tough week in in many ways. Uh, in the world of a pastor and the brokenness in which we find ourselves. There's a beautiful young lady by the name of Alyssa that I've been praying for for a long time. She's, I think she's about 23 or four. She just recently got married this past summer and we were hoping that everything would be okay for her wedding. Uh, we knew it was coming, but we know that she's been battling cancer for so long. As a matter of fact, when I met her as about a 15 year old, I met her and I knew that she was in a battle with melanoma. If you know anything about melanoma, it's the nasty disease. And there's been so many highs and lows. And although they live in upstate New York, a lot of trips to uh, Kettering, uh, Sloan Kettering down in New York City to try to find the, the latest, greatest help. And, you know, and we, we, we pray and we, we ask God for healing. And, and just this week, I got word that there were more tumors in her brain. I want to say, God, really? Come on, really? I mean, God, 
You are Jesus. You are the servant of God that was to come. Salvation is in your hand. You are the lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. You could do all things. Really, Jesus? Why? I, I, I prayed with a family of a, a dad who's 46. And I think hospice has been called in. He's got terminal cancer. Freshman girl, seventh grade boy. The mom kind of whispers that seventh graders struggling with God. What do you think? His dad's wasting away. Doesn't understand God. Doesn't understand a God who would not answer prayers like that. I tell you, this part of me that wants to look him in the eye and say, I don't either. Let me just, let me just tell you, I, I don't either. I don't like it. It doesn't make sense. And God's ways aren't our ways and his thoughts aren't our ways and he's mighty God. And I can't describe why this is happening, but I want you to know, come and see Jesus. Because what I know of this Jesus is he really did become our sin. He really did defeat death. He really did open up heaven. And there's life in him. And there's life that, that maybe on this earth, cancer will still attack. But in Christ Jesus, there's life that will never stop reigning. You see that we live as Christians in a time of the story where it's not all here yet. And I look and I see your faces and I, I see the empty seats and I, I see the brokenness and the sadness and the reality. But let me, let me tell you, the servant of God has come and he's the light of the world and he's brought salvation and the lamb of God has come and he was slain for our sin and he got up out of that grave and he conquered death and life now reigns and he promises that he's preparing a place for us, a home for us. And we're not there yet. And he says, as a matter of fact, on your way home, it's going to really be hard. Let me just say, if you want to live a godly life, you're going to be persecuted. Don't worry, I've overcome the world. Sometimes I think as Christians, we, we, we feel like paradise should be here now. And it's not, is it? We've tasted it and we long for more. But come and see. Come and see the one who would love you enough to say, I'm going to put your name on my hands and I'm going to let them drive nails through it. So that one day it'll all be right. So one day it'll all be good. Come and see. It says, and come and see. Come and see that the servant of God. Come and see the lamb of God. But, but listen, church, come and see the people of God. I'm going to read for you 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. It's in your bulletin. It should be on the screen. But I want you to hear this because this is how God's word describes you. And I want you to know, hit pause. He's talking to a church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth, these people were messed up. These people were into some sexual perversion that would make a sailor blush. Sorry, sailors. These people, I mean, seriously, the, the issues they had, the junk they dealt with, the quarrels they got in, they were a lot like you and me. And yet this is what Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, 
says to us, the church, verse two through nine. To the church of God that is in Orangewood or Corinth, to those sanctified past tense, already done in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those in every place, call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, you were past tense, enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who he will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I love what Paul did. Paul didn't tell him to live a holy life so that they could become the people of God. He didn't tell them to live a holy life so they could find the pleasure of God. He didn't tell them to live a certain lifestyle so they could find their way to God. He said, the servant of God has come. The lamb of God has come. He has taken away your sins. This is who you are now. Paul didn't say, become something you're not. He says that in Christ Jesus, you're sanctified, which is you've been made holy. In Christ Jesus, you're justified, which means he's declared us, sinners like us, in Christ Jesus, not guilty. And he never will change his mind about us. Be who you are in Christ Jesus. What he says is, this is who you are. You are, you are beloved in Christ Jesus. You are mine in Christ Jesus. You are this. Live out your true identity, your true self. I think oftentimes as Christians, we, we think once we, we get home that we're going to have to stand before God. He's going to look over our lives as if he's looking over a report card and hearing, oof, some bad stuff here. Oof. Man, you've made some bad decisions. Whew. There's been some lean years. No? Do you hear what this says? That the grace of God has been given to us? The grace of God, and that, that listen, listen, that God will be faithful. That at the end of the day, he says that we in Christ Jesus, I can't, it rings in my mind. He, we in Christ Jesus, we will be guiltless. Are you kidding me? We're living our lives the way we do, wandering away from him. And he's going to say in Christ Jesus, at the end of the day, by the way, I'm going to hang on to you so tightly. I'm going to love you so dearly. I'm never going to let you go. At the end of the day, you're going to be guiltless. Because today you're sanctified in Christ Jesus. Today you've been declared not guilty in Christ Jesus. Tomorrow you're going to wake up. I'm going to declare you're not guilty. And the next day and the next day. And when you stand in front of me face to face, all I'm going to see is the beauty of Jesus. And man, am I going to be happy to see. And when we see him, we will be like him. And oh, that glorious transformation. What this is saying is, live like the people of God that we are. This is who we are. 
And when we, we live our lives in such shallowness and worldliness, we're, we're living an identity that is not ours in Christ Jesus. He's saying, listen, you don't have to become something. You are something. Now live your life. Tear apart from your life everything that's not in Christ. Tear it off of you. That's not your identity. Whatever you robe yourself in, whatever you try to find identity in, wherever you try to find life in, that's not me. Take it off. That's not your identity. It's like C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia that to Edmund, who's going to just rip away the scales as he's become a dragon, rip away the, the, the lion figure, Christ figure, just gouging away the scales that have taken away the reality of who he is and underneath is a boy, underneath his life. You see, Paul will say, you're beloved, you're mine, you're holy. That's who we are in Christ. Now go live your life as your true identity. Live as forgiven and free. Live as redeemed and rescued. Live as secure and loved. That is who we are. And put to death anything that is not in Christ. What are you seeking? What are you seeking? Can you say, I'm seeking Jesus, that's it. And how are you living are you living to try to earn something? Are you living to try to prove something? Are you, are you living? Listen, holy living matters. God cares deeply how you live. But he also cares deeply of your motivation. And if your motivation is at the end of the day that somehow you will earn God's love, you've missed it completely. If you are in Christ Jesus, you got it. You're his. Live free. Live fully. Live alive. And then crazy, we now are the people in Christ Jesus. For those of us, by the grace of God, through faith in Christ Jesus, have become new life. We now are the people that God says, come and see Jesus. We're the church. We're the ones that we're to be a city on a hill. We're to be the light of the world. The way we live our lives. God wants to raise us up. He is raising us. He says, come and see Jesus right here. I know they're broken. I know they're still messing up. I know that they're prone to water, but they're mine. And Jesus was enough for every one of them. Come and see Jesus and the beautiful aroma of Christ. Come and see Jesus and live. Let us pray. Father God, thanks for your holy and errant word. Thank you for your servant that was promised in Isaiah fulfilled in your son, Jesus, the Lamb of God. Jesus, I thank you that as the Lamb of God, you are the sacrifice of God. You're the mighty God, and yet you're the sacrifice that you would become our sin. And Jesus, your sacrifice for our sin was sufficient to appease a holy father's wrath. How do we know? Because that tomb was empty. And that now we know that death has been defeated, that life reigns, that the bridge, the chasm between sinful man and holy God has forever been bridged. The veil has been torn from top to bottom. And we are yours and we are sanctified and we are justified and we are beloved 
and we will make it home because you'll never let us go. And when we stand in your presence, you're not going to shake your head over our report card and disdain, but you will open up your arms and have our names engraven on them and nails that have pierced them through and say, welcome home, my beloved, guiltless in Christ Jesus. Oh, Holy Spirit, empower us for the journey because we still live in a world where cancer is a part of our reality. We still live in a world where our addictions just don't seem to give up. We still live in a world that we can't seem to make our ends meet. We still live in a world with so many broken pieces. And God, would you strip away anything that we want to robe ourselves in that's not Jesus? Would you give us wisdom to seek him, to seek him alone? And Holy Spirit, would you tear off from us anything that takes away our true identity is your beloved so that the world could come and see Jesus. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.